0: Good to be with you, and I want to say a warm welcome to everyone joining us online, or on demand, or on spring break. We're glad you joined us today. It's just a joy to worship with you every Sunday in this place. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Leanne Benton, and I am the worship pastor here at the church. And you may not know this about me, but I've been going through the ordination licensing process with the ECC, which stands for the Evangelical Covenant Church. That's the denomination that our church is associated with. And it's been a definite learning curve. I've had to read a lot of books, write a lot of papers, just like I'm in school again. And there's this phrase that they use in the ECC that has been resonating with me, especially as we've been going through our unhurry series. And it's this question how goes your walk? In other words, how is your spiritual journey with Christ going in new and deeper ways? Are you creating time to slow down and catch up with God? Have you integrated the unhurried principles of silence and solitude and Sabbath and simplicity? I don't know about you, but this has been a difficult couple of sermons. Um, I'm just learning to walk and not run through every season and every scenario in my life. And it's been hard for me, and it's okay. Has it been hard for you? Just wondering. Um, My husband and I lived in the Bay Area, California Bay Area, for a while. And um, there was a cardiologist there named Meyer Friedman. He's the guy that coined the phrase, type A personality. And he talked about how people are just so rushed in our world. One of the ways he discovered this was the upholsterer in his office said that the fabric on the chairs had a real distinct pattern of wear. The fabric kept getting worn off on the edge of the seat first. So picture this. These are people waiting to see their cardiologist, for goodness sake. And they are in such a hurry to see their cardiologist that they're literally sitting on the edge of their seats. This is the condition of the human race in our day. In fact, Friedman said we suffer an epidemic of what he named hurry sickness. Constantly rushing around, constantly feeling like we are behind. There's never enough time so I ask again, how goes your walk? Type A personality people, where are you? How are you doing in slowdown mode? How's it working for you? Are you slowing down to catch up with God? If you missed any part of our Unhurry series, please go back into our sermon archives and listen maybe one, two, or three times, soak it in. It takes a lot of time and effort to really figure out how to integrate the new rhythms of life with Jesus, a new way of walking with him. So I encourage you to do that and go back and listen. Last week, Pastor Adam opened our invitation sermon series sharing about the call of Jesus to come after me. In other words, a call to follow Jesus. And today, we're going to look at Jesus' invitation to come to me A call to intimacy, to becoming his disciple, to find renewed rest in him. Let me read the words of Jesus and his invitation that's found in Matthew 11, verses 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest For your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I've been reflecting on the last couple of years living in a pandemic. I joined the staff here at Redeemer in the middle of 2020, which was absolutely an unprecedented time. And I've been in ministry literally my whole life. Growing up as a preacher's kid, I learned most about ministry when I was young from my mom and dad who were sitting on the second row. You should be sitting on the front row. It's okay. I forgive you this morning, and I was kind of their apprentice of sorts. I was definitely an unpaid intern. This was before child labor laws. I literally sat at the piano bench Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and every service in between. The doors of our church were always open. Right? Ice storms, snowstorms, tornadoes—it didn't matter. I mean, even if it was just the four of us, we were sitting in that front row waiting for church to happen. And we did that. It was a wonderful way to grow up. And through the years, I've had the opportunity of leading worship and leading in churches of all different sizes. And I have to say, all the training, all the degrees, all the experience in the world, it just doesn't prepare you for what we've been through the last two plus years. In fact, two years ago, almost to this day, my daughter and I flew home from Orlando, Florida, in the middle of spring break, and why, you may ask, because Disney World shut down the day after we arrived, in the middle of spring break. So here's a picture of the Orlando airport on that Wednesday. It's a complete ghost town in Orlando. It's shocking to even see that picture. I've, I've never seen anything like it before in my life, and I hope we never see anything like that again. Um, Allison sent me a picture yesterday. She was in the Orlando airport in that same location, and this is what it looks like now. So we've definitely, we've we've changed a little bit as we've gone through this pandemic. But even as things slowed down and during those first few months, the weight that many of us felt in industries and positions was harder. It was heavier. And so it was also in ministry. It often felt like we were doing similar things that we had always done, but with 20-pound weights on our arms and on our legs, we were grappling with the questions like this. How do we do church online in, instead of in a sanctuary? How do we stream? We don't even know what that means. Facebook Live, I don't know what that is either. And what equipment do we need to do this really well? And why is it back ordered for six months? Six months. Um, how do we minister to people who are in the hospital when the families are not even allowed in the building, much less their room? <clears throat> you can add to your list of questions that you've grappled with in the past few months and years. I know I speak on behalf of our staff. We have lived and we have led through a pandemic, and at the end of most days, there was a different kind of exhaustion, a mental emotional depletion, navigating through an unknown future, making decisions that we never thought we would have to make and we'd never made before. Does anyone relate? I'll speak for myself, I was working really hard. I was trying harder, which produced more strain and more effort, and it started to feel contrived. It started to feel like I wasn't my best, I wasn't relaxed, and I certainly wasn't being creative. And here is where Jesus' invitation becomes so relevant for our lives. Please hear this, trying harder will not get us where we want to go. It just won't. So Jesus invites us into a different way. One of the most compelling times that Jesus talks about this was in the Gospel of Matthew. In the 11th chapter, I just read it. He came to people who were exhausted from trying really hard. Religious leaders in that day often sent a message to people to just try harder. Try harder to have more faith to be more faithful, to be religious, to be a better person, to keep the Sabbath, and so on and so on. And it began to kill the human spirit. And Jesus said these countercultural, transformational words. I'm going to read this again from the Eugene Peterson's message paraphrase, and just listen to the words again from Jesus. Are you tired, worn out, burnt out on religion? Then come to me. in a different way of living. And I'm so thankful for that because my path, my way, is often unhealthy. It's anxious. There's not rhythms of grace in my day-to-day. So we need to lean into this invitation this morning. And I'm going to just share a few nuggets of truth that we can pull out of this scripture from Jesus that will hopefully change our lives for the better. Number one, rest in relationship. This invitation from Jesus begins with just simply come to me. He invites us into a real, authentic relationship. He invites us into intimacy, which I love to define in-to-me-see. No facade, no pretenses, a relationship with Jesus that changes the way that we think, the way that we live, and the way that we interact with others around us. I had the privilege of meeting one of the greatest, most humble theologians of our time, Dallas Willard. And I got a glimpse into his final season of ministry before he passed in 2013. And several times we invited him to our church in Menlo Park, and we would have these Q&A sessions with him. And he had just this real unique way of breaking down the gospel in simplistic and profound ways. And we would take questions from our staff and from our congregation And here's just a few that I remember vividly from that time. Here's the question. What do we need to do to stay spiritually vital and healthy and alive? Answer, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. It sounds like a sermon series we just finished, doesn't it? Question, when it comes to spiritual formation, like really helping people grow spiritually, what is the number one thing that we should do to help make disciples at our church? Now, full disclosure, I love trying to guess how he was going to answer. It was always just a fun game for me. I'm trying to think of which book or program or curriculum that he's going to say that we need to do, and I'll never forget how he responded that day. First of all, he took a long pause which is how he answered every question, awkwardly long. And then he said this, you must arrange your time so that you are living in deep contentment, in joy, and in confidence in your everyday experience with God. And our lead pastor awkwardly said in the interview, no, 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 I'm talking about how to make disciples. And Dallas responded this way, yes, You will always produce who you are. You can never plow around that. We must learn this lesson to live deeply in relationship with Jesus, which changes us, which changes others. And that's the multiplication of the kingdom of God, simply by arranging our time and living in contentment and joy and confidence with Jesus. And Jesus is our example. He did this really, really well. Um, He he had this way of God's grace flowing into and out of him constantly. Jesus engaged in these practices to replenish his spirit. And when you look at the Gospels, you see these types of practices like he prayed. He had a circle of close friends, the 12 that did life with him. He even said in John 15, I no longer call you servants, I call you my friends. He engaged in regular corporate worship in the synagogue, it says in Luke 4, as was his custom, so something he did consistently. He fed his mind on scripture. He enjoyed God's creation, a mountain, a garden, the sea. He took long walks. He welcomed little children and blessed them, and he even enjoyed eating with the non-religious people around him. Now, we can easily start to make a list of our spiritual practices and disciplines, especially around the Lenten season, and look at it as more of an obligation. I can make it 40 days, right? A set of tasks that we're supposed to do, and if we fail, we feel guilty. We totally misunderstand. For Jesus, these were not things that he did to show his father how spiritual he was. They were conduits of grace. Grace. They were the means by which joy and liveliness was sustained inside of him. And we need this even more so desperately in our own lives. A new rhythm and a relationship in our daily walk with Jesus and with others. By what? Let's say the Dallas Willard quote. By arranging your time so that you are living with deep contentment and joy and confidence in your everyday experience with our God. Number two, try softer. Now, this doesn't mean that trying is a bad thing. Being able to exercise effort is an amazing capacity that God has given to each of us. But instead of white knuckling, teeth gritting, fists clenched, struggling to be in control, perhaps we need to recognize that we could be part of the problem instead of the answer. It's been said that control is the master addiction. So instead of trying to control everything around us, it feels like that's not a good way to go forward. In fact, that's kind of how we've done ministry in the middle of a pandemic. It's been hard to control anything in our lives. What exhausts us is not the effort. What exhausts us is trying to control what we cannot So probably each of us can relate to a personal experience when trying harder and it finally reaches the point of diminishing returns. I'm thinking of fifth grade basketball, which I will not bore you with right now. Um, William James says, he's a well-known psychologist. He noted over a century ago that such a strange thing happens when we are trying to do certain endeavors like remembering someone's name. And you try to remember it so hard. And you try and try super hard. And the harder you try, the more frustrated you get. My husband has this game he plays. When he can't think of a word, he starts with A and he goes through the entire alphabet. (laughs) And finally, he sometimes comes up with it. But it's usually when he quits, when he gives up. And then it comes when you try softer. That's a picture of the unforced rhythms of grace. Number three take on the easy yoke. And if I could underscore this musically during this portion of my message, I would have the eagles playing, take it easy. So since they're not here, it'll be silence behind me. Let's read the passage one more time from the Amplified Translation. I love this version. Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened by religious rituals that provide no peace. And I will give you rest, refreshing your soul's With salvation. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, following me as my disciple. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest, renewal, and blessed quiet for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and my burden is light. Such amazing words. He says, If you're tired, if you labor, if you're heavy laden, come to me and I will give you rest take my yoke upon you now that's that's kind of a strange thing we don't talk about yoke much in this day but the yoke was a common metaphor in Judaism for the law yoke was an instrument of burden it was an instrument of work so here jesus says another countercultural thing to his audience if you're tired he doesn't say i will give you a vacation a trip to tahoe maybe a spa day no What he says is, I will give you a way to do work. I'll give you a way. Why? Because we were made to contribute. We were made to engage with this life. That's a glorious and good thing to do, but we wear ourselves out when we try to do it only in our own strength. In Jesus' day in particular, a yoke was a word that the rabbis would often use to arrange their life around God's will and God's word. And there were all these commandments given to Israel, and they were really good things. But people had to figure it out. If you were supposed to work on the Sabbath, what constitutes work? How do you get that done? One rabbi would have this opinion, and another rabbi would have this opinion. And so that was the rabbi's yoke. Here's the thing. Everybody has a yoke because we all have to live. We all have to find a way to do life in this world. The question is not whether you have a yoke. The question is this, whose yoke will you choose? And Jesus says this, my yoke is easy. He gives you the answer because what he aims at is transformation from the inside where we learn to rely not on our power, but the power of God. And it begins with surrender the easy yoke. I can't, he can. I think I'll let him. God, your will be done. In Jesus' day, carpenters were the ones who would construct a yoke, and a good carpenter would go to the farm and figure out how to make this fit really, really well. A yoke is not for one person, right? It's not for one animal. It's for two. It's for a pair of oxen, And a good carpenter would know which animal was stronger, which animal was more experienced, which one was able to bear the heavier weight. And sometimes the carpenter would even make the hole bigger for the animal so that the stronger animal could easily bear the heavier weight. Jesus is a good carpenter. He gets in the yoke with me. See, that's the thing. That's what makes his yoke easy. I can bear it. I can't. I don't have to bear it on my own, and neither do you. He bears the heaviest weight. And that's why I don't have to go through this life. Teeth clenched. My muscles all tensed up. Striving on my own. Amazing things happen when you just relax. Say, Relax. And take on his yoke. A funny story. I have a friend named Jared Anderson. He is a prolific songwriter and worship leader. We sing some of his songs here Great I Am, Lord I'm Amazed by You, Hear Us from Heaven, or just to name a few. And when he was much younger and in college, um, he often would say this to me We need at least two weeks of pure boredom to be really creative. Allowing your mind and soul to truly rest, and then the inspiration will come. Now, I think God really does have a sense of humor, because Jared now has a wife, six kids, and at least one dog. And I'm pretty sure he hasn't had a boring day in 15 years, this boy. But amazingly, he's still writing music, and he's still finding creative space and time with the easy yoke good news for all of us. There is sustaining grace for us in whatever season of life we may find ourselves in. Jesus uses the word easy here only one time. He didn't say his assignment for us would be easy. Quite the opposite. In Matthew 10, he said, I'm sending you out like sheep among the wolves. That sounds pretty tricky to me. He didn't say the world would be easy, quite the opposite. He said, in this world, you will have what? Tribulation. You will have trouble. John 16 says that, but he didn't say our assignment was going to be easy. He didn't say the world was going to be easy, but he did say, my yoke is easy. So here's the beautiful thing. Jesus is not the giver of the easy job. He's the giver of the easy yoke. Can you say that with me? Jesus is not the giver of the easy job. He's the giver of the easy yoke. Easy doesn't come from the outside. Easy comes from the inside. Easy doesn't describe the problems that we will face. It describes the strength from beyond ourselves from which we carry our problems. John Ortberg said it this way, the more inward ease that I live in, the more outward hard I can handle. The more inward ease I live in, the more outward hard I can handle. That's the easy yoke. And as I was doing research for this sermon, I came across the following prayer. It's a morning prayer. It says this God, direct my thinking today so that it be divorced of self pity, dishonesty, self will, self seeking, and fear. God, inspire my thinking, decisions, and intuitions. Help me to relax and take it easy. Isn't that just what we need? To humble ourselves before our God, honestly ask for inspiration, for clarity of mind for the day, and then just take a deep breath. So today I challenge you with these three things. Come to Jesus and rest in renewed relationship. He's the one who created us. He's got this. He will sustain you through every season of your life. And try softer. When it comes to your relationship with God, God, don't try harder to have more faith. Try softer with your time. Don't try harder to squeeze everything into a faster-paced life. No, you can't control time. You can't control the traffic. And you definitely can't control the weather in Tulsa. But... If you try softer, God will show up. Today in your relationships, instead of trying to control everyone around you, does anyone try to control people in your life? Instead of that, let's give them, let's release them to the capable hands of God. That includes your relatives, your parents, your spouses, your kids, your exes. Make the list. Try softer. And then tomorrow at work, when you start obsessing over that email or that project, or that meeting, try softer. And finally, take on the easy yoke. With Jesus carrying the heavy weight one day at a time, that's it, that's the answer. That's the easy yoke. That's the unforced rhythms of the grace of our Heavenly Father. That's going from sitting on the edge of your seat in the cardiologist's office Literally waiting for the next thing, to leaning back and to learning to live in the beautiful grace of our Heavenly Father. Let's learn to live peacefully. Let's learn to live with the Jesus invitation in mind, to live freely and to live lightly. How goes your walk? Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, Oh, today we want to live a better way. We want to live the Jesus way. You've made it so clear in the scripture, so help us to loosen the grip on things we cannot control in this life. Help us to lean into your arms, the one who created us, who made us. Help us to embrace a new rhythm of grace in our everyday lives. Less striving, more trusting. Less striving, more trusting. We ask for a new direction in our thinking, God, that's divorced of self-pity and dishonesty and self-will and fear. Instead, God, inspire our thinking, inspire our daily decisions and our intuitions. And then first, just help us relax in you. Help us to take it easy. We'll take on the easy yoke with you carrying the heavier weight. Thank you, God, for that truth today. We ask all these things in your precious name. Amen. Once again, thank you for listening to the Redeemer Church podcast. To stay connected to all that God is doing here at Redeemer, visit our website at RedeemerTulsa.org or connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Have a blessed week.